0: the fourth meditative absorption which i explained this morning is the springboard for going into the formless absorption the fourth one which is extremely peaceful which one could describe as stillness is often described as equanimity but it's not exactly that what is experienced there but it is something that one can recognize afterwards because in the fourth one in that stillness there is neither pleasure nor pain, there's neither nice nor not nice. And so, the equanimity arises out of that, but the awareness at that time is stillness. And equanimity is therefore enormously strengthened in one, if one is able to get that um, forced meditative absorption in one's meditation equanimity which does not uh, go to extremes of wanting and not wanting but where the mind can stay in an equilibrium while we still have to practice um, this equanimity in daily life the helpfulness of the meditation is very marked it also gives the mind a lot of energy and because of that one can use it to go into states of consciousness which are quite different from what we're used to they're so much different that they no longer have a connection to anything that we experience in the worldly life, no matter how nice. The connection is no longer there. The only connection is we can experience it. That's all. Now, the fourth one is the necessary trigger, energy giver, and also the necessity of proper concentration, which comes about through that fourth one, takes one further. In the fourth one, the only thing that's left of all the five factors that we started out with in the first one is one-pointedness. Obviously, the first two are long gone, initial application and sustained application. And the pity, the um, the delightful sensation, of course, is long gone. And the joy is no longer there because that already went in the background when we had the, um, the third one, which had contentment in it, and peacefulness. So the only thing that's left is one pointedness. And that one pointedness is, of course, powerful. Because if one is able to sustain that concentration, it becomes a force. One pointedness is a force. One can imagine that. One has a tool which is blunt. Obviously, it doesn't do one much good. One can fiddle around with it and maybe do a little bit. But when that tool is sharpened to a point, obviously, we have a much greater potential. The Buddha compared the trained mind to a sharpened saw, or axe, sorry, a sharpened axe. If we have a blunt axe, we might still be able to split the wood, but it takes an awful lot of energy and it's going to be mighty difficult. But when the axe is sharpened and it is, has a very fine blade, which is very um, one-pointed. Then we can split the wood with one hit, and it's a powerful tool. The same happens to the mind when it becomes one-pointed. It's our most powerful tool in the world nothing can compare there is no tool that can be invented that can surpass the one-pointed mind and with the one-pointed mind we can go beyond anything that we experience here in a worldly condition obviously if a mind is being used for invention or for some difficult mental uh, experiments it's also one-pointed it has to be the more one-pointed we can become in any work that we do the more we help the mind to have have strength and power so that we can actually use it for meditation the power of that tool is then used to become enlightened the one-pointedness of the force meditation force the absorption is quite unique in all of the Meditative absorption it's the strongest and therefore it needs to be practiced it's far more difficult than the first three the first three are comparatively very easy and having found an entrance and that is the main difficulty having found the keyhole and having been able to enter the first is quickly followed by the second and the third but the fourth one takes a fair bit of determination and lack of destruction and we need to be able to give ourselves so let go of the observer to a great extent having been able to sustain that and therefore sharpen the one-pointedness, and make it such a powerful tool, we have the opportunity to expand. Now, it's quite well known that we use only a small portion of our mental potential. I mean, it's been written about and talked about and statistically proven here, there, and everywhere that our potential, our mental potential, is far greater than what we ever get to use. And here, the mental potential is not connected to knowing more or using the mind to get new ideas, but the expansion of the mind is used to having totally new experience and that expansion that the mind experiences there and then that new opening that we get shows us a totally different reality and then having seen that totally different reality and coming back to this one we know which one is the real one, namely the other one. There's no doubt anymore. It needs the experience. It needs neither belief nor disbelief. It needs the practice. But on top of the practice, we have to have the understood experience. We have to know what is happening. We may, and that doesn't, it's not as um, rare as it seems, that people do get accidentally once or maybe even twice to such an expansion of consciousness. Quite accidentally, in fact, I have uh, met people who weren't even meditating and found themselves in such a great suffering situation that spontaneously their mind expanded and they experienced what is actually the fifth jhana but having not a clue either about meditation nor the buddha's teaching nor ever heard of jhanas or anything like that it was frightening and at the same time besides being frightening it was also most interesting and tempting. So such a person would then, while being a little bit scared of it, because doesn't know what it is, still look around to find out if anybody could tell them what it is. And hard to find. So the understood experience is all, makes all the difference every mind can do it but if we don't understand what we're doing it's totally useless we have no benefit from it in fact we can either be scared by it or we are so uh, interested trying to find out what it is that we can go searching from a practical standpoint what happens is that this is the very first absorption, has a physical base. It's sensations, but they seem to be based physically. So, this one is two. Namely, an expansion apparently of the body takes place, but this is not a feeling of the body being big, but the outline of the body, the outline of the body seems to, while it is diffused anyway at this time, it seems to go further and further. It's not a feeling that the body is now like a balloon. That would be unpleasant. But the outline of the body seems to merge into everything into the air around one and goes further and further. And as that expansion goes further, it is sometimes stopped midway. Mind stops. Should that happen, one goes to the sky. Actually, the Buddha's instruction are, one could go to the trees, to the villages, to the towns, to the country, and go further and further, but it's not necessary. uh, we don't have to do that once having been able to have a mind which has power behind it we can usually go to the sky and further out this is not a deliberate way of doing it but because of knowing what the experience brings and what it is all about, the mind is in that direction. If we want to meditate, we put our mind in the direction of meditation. We, sit, we go to a meditation course, we go to a meditation pillow, and we sit down on the pillow and we put our mind on the meditation subject. We're giving it that direction. If we want to cook, we go to the kitchen and we get all the vegetables and the knives and the pots and the pans. We give the mind the direction. It's the same here. We know which way the meditation goes, so we give it a direction. In fact, it is quite um, correct, according to the Buddhist teaching, to recognize the fact that each of the meditation absorptions that we have experienced are still gross and we can let them go and go to something which is more subtle. It's mentioned in his instructions. So we direct the mind towards that ultimate expansion of this body occupies space, a certain amount of space. The, this meditation experience of the fifth jhana is called infinite space, infinity. So because we have mind and body, and nobody has yet come up with anything else that they have found, that is the expansion from where it starts from oneself further and further until there's nothing to be experienced except space it's neither joyful nor is it exhilarating but it is insightful. The fifth and sixth and seventh jhana are called vipassana jhanas, which means insight jhanas. If one gets away with, from them without having gained insight, one hasn't paid attention. And not to pay attention when one is in the fifth or sixth or seventh jhana is impossible. There's no such thing as doing the one without paying attention. It just isn't possible. impossible. It's not impossible not to know exactly where one is when one is in the fourth. But in the fifth and sixth and seventh, such a thing is not possible. So this enormous expansion means that the only experience that there is at that time is an infinity of space, which means there is absolutely no border, no outline, no barrier, there is nothing that can be said to encompass justice. The, in, the insight which arises from that is often worded in a very peculiar way, not only in Buddhist tradition, but in all traditions, any tradition. Hindu tradition, Christian tradition, any tradition, the insight which arises from that is very often worded. Now, not everybody says that, but some people say, well, I'm all that, or all that is me. And when that was being said by Christian mystics in the Middle Ages, they often found themselves near or at the stake but it's exactly that experience and it is the mystical experience of every single tradition whether that tradition has a name or not it doesn't matter the names are all given by men. we've given those names so they do not describe anything they are labels just like each one of us has a name But in a reality, what are we, human? But we have a name to make things a little easier so that we can call upon each other. And that's all that these traditions have names for, for identification purposes, that's all. They do not contain anything different from each other. All they contain are different languages different terminologies. So it is an experience of where one where people sometimes say, well, quite often, say, I'm all that, all that is me. In the Hindu tradition, Masi. And here what we inquire into is after having come out of it. Where was I? Obviously, nowhere. And yet, the experience is totally real. There's no way of denying it. It's far more real than any other possibility of experience because it has an enormous impact on the mind, especially when it's done the first one after it's been done for a long time as practice it doesn't there's no question anymore what's real and what isn't real that is but because it is can only have the infinity of space in it if there isn't that distinction of the person sitting in it obviously that distinctive person has disappeared at that time and because that is so and experienced for everyone in exactly that way we come closer to understanding the goal of the Buddha's teaching which has also been expressed by mystics of all traditions except that we have here a precise explanation of how to get there we have a recipe it's easier to cook when you have a recipe until you become an expert then you don't need recipe. What we experience and what anyone experiences at that time is although the awareness of this infinity is there, there are no separate bits and pieces, particularly nobody who could be called me. And by that we come nearer to this experience, which is the understanding first of all and then also the feeling of having absolutely no personal separation personal identity nothing that would distinguish one from the infinity of existence the matrix of existence the underlying ocean of being any of the words or none of them since it has to be an experience the words will never do it justice but they can give an inkling of where this is going the non-separation from that which is all and total and the non-identity non-personal identity of that person removes all when it's experienced finally, removes all craving and if you remember I said in the third absorption we experience contentment because of wishlessness and we know at that time that this is the only way to ever be contented and therefore have peace so if we get rid of the mistaken idea that there is a separate identity which has to be protected, pampered, looked after, made safe and so forth, obviously We've got no end of trouble. We don't lose that identity through the fifth jhana, but we get nearer to the experience of what it is like because we have a momentary experience of it. And since we get that, we can then much more easily and without any doubt direct our mind toward that where we direct the mind that's where we will go if we direct the mind towards meditation obviously that's what we're going to do if we direct the mind towards concentration eventually we'll go there if we of course have troubles on the way like i want something well we are stopping it if we direct the mind towards liberation the freedom from the monster of self that's where we'll go we go wherever we direct ourselves to it's very interesting that people make lots of plans particularly when they're supposed to be meditating And these plans are what they're going to do then. And some of them are quite good plans. And that's what's going to happen. It is part of the meditative process and the liberation from Dukkha that we have actually a building plan, so to say of what is important for us. It's essential to do that many times in one's life because that changes. There's no harm in changing one's mind. It's perfectly all right. But one should know where one is directing oneself to. And some people think that meditation might be a useful thing to have some hours of forgetfulness about their own problems. But in the Buddhist dispensation, meditation is only one tool towards total liberation. And if that interests you, which I don't know if you ever want to read any of the Christian mystics such as Meister Eckhart who is particularly interesting and particularly difficult to read he will find that his direction was exactly the same to get rid of this self-idea in fact all his sermons are filled with that incentive and with that direction usually totally misunderstood but this is where one can direct oneself to and will do so particularly after having experienced what it means to be momentarily without this self idea having experienced it momentarily through the jhanas makes the path quite clear up to then the question will arise maybe over and over again well if i'm not meditating who's doing it then so but in the fifth jhana who's meditating in infinite space it's a a good question isn't it but one needs to experience it this infinite space is materiality corporality space is corporality so it has that connection to the very first meditative absorption and the next one the sixth one is mentality and it arises simultaneously with infinite space, just like the joy arises simultaneously with the present sensation. But you can see already what a vast difference there is between the fine material absorptions, which are still sort of, even if one hasn't done them, one can imagine, But this defies imagination. This has to be done. So this next one is mentality, and it's called infinite consciousness. And actually the Buddha says one and a half sentences about each of those. Because there isn't really the necessary vocabulary to explain what one does and what one experiences, there is only a vocabulary which is either similes or fantasy which tries to explain after it has happened. Since the Buddha in this case neither used similes nor did he approve of fantasy, his explanation is a sentence and a half in each case. One could also think that it's so short that because people knew anyway what to do. But we don't know that. So from the explanations that we get, again, we don't have any real idea what is happening until we've done it. The connection between fifth and sixth is quite clear because only infinite consciousness can experience infinite space. You can't experience infinite space right now it's impossible the consciousness is very limited right now it's limited to trying to understand what i'm talking about and that is of course not infinite that's just words so the infinite consciousness is a necessary ingredient of infinite space so all that happens at that time is that one moves one's attention from the enormousness of the space experience to that which is experiencing that enormousness of space namely the infinity of consciousness which moves from the corporality to the mentality just like from the first to second genre we move from the pleasant sensation to the joy which arose at the same time from the sensation to an emotion they're both there here the same is is true they're both there but we take our attention off one and go to the other it hardly ever provides any difficulty having got that far it doesn't really present a difficulty it now becomes even clearer that there isn't anybody there. Because even though most people are at least intellectually willing to say that they're not the body, that still leaves them with I am my mind or I am my consciousness or my awareness, whichever way they'd like to say it. Here, this is an impossibility. Nobody has the personal possession of infinite consciousness. And yet, one is all that, and all that is me. And that sounds always like heresy. And uh, it's nothing but the typical mystical experience. I am that. In fact, there's a very good book with that title, written by or spoken by an Indian enlightened sage, Nizhagadatta Maharaj, I am that. And it has been said over and over again and will again, will always be said. Because the experience comes from the person that is sitting there. And it is infinite. So obviously, the two have to have some connection. And yet, it's impossible at that time to have any kind of idea that I am experiencing that the way we are sitting here, and our I am hearing this. That no longer enters into it. So the connection is that is all within me, or I am within all that. So the personal barriers, borders, outlines are all lost, all gone for the time of the meditation. And since such an experience must leave some impression on one, the pathway is really assured. There are exceptions, but they're few and far between, that somebody should stop. And should not get on with it. And even if they do stop, they start. They start again. For such an experience it cannot be had without having an impact on the mind. And that's not. That's impossible. It changes one's perception. It changes one's perspective. This is now seen, particularly the body, is seen as an involuntary prison that we have to return to over and over again because we can't stay in meditation all the time and that's really not desirable never desirable to be in prison is it the Buddha said not that the body has cancer but that the body is a cancer it's always got troubles of some sort And it limits one's abilities. Because in that infinite space and in that infinite consciousness there are absolutely no blockages or any kind of barriers to being everything. And of course it's wishless. There's nothing to wish for. It's all there anyway. But there's even nobody there to wish anything. That person has disappeared for the time being. Mind you, that person reappears immediately when the meditation is over. But with a slightly altered perception. You can't experience infinite space and infinite consciousness without having some sort of of different mind state and all this personal idea of how I want my life and what I want to do with it and how this is supposed to be and how other people are supposed to be it's all seen as just living in a dream Buddha said we're all living in a dream that's why he is called the awakened one He woke up from it. We all have that same opportunity. We can all wake up. And when we do, the world around us will remain exactly the same. Nothing changes. This room will look the same as long as this house exists. But it no longer has any significance. It's just a room. Everybody will look exactly the same uh, getting older, decaying and dying including oneself but it doesn't have any significance there's nothing to it it just is and if one has the experience and it all hinges only on concentration and concentration hinges only on giving oneself to it so if one has that experience all that exists exists within that infinity of space and infinity of consciousness. We have from that the experience proof that there is a totality. And when we come back to the ordinary consciousness, it's quite simple then really, to feel connected so that loving kindness and compassion becomes easier and joy with others that the lack of personal wanting is a little easier it's not eliminated by any chance but it's it's getting easier and the understanding of a universality is made possible. So we don't feel so separated from others through the personal experience. But mainly we recognize the fact that there is consciousness, but it isn't mine. There is consciousness everywhere, but I don't own anything. I don't own That space I'm occupying, I don't own the consciousness that seems to be floating around in my head somewhere. That's all just a myth. All made up. Why is it made up, people say. The Buddha says, out of ignorance, that's all. They're ignoring the actual facts of existence. Obviously, we are ignoring lots of things. So, we are ignoring that. And we will keep on ignoring it until we have the personal experience of it. And there's no reason why we shouldn't have that personal experience. All we have to do is keep on meditating, and there it comes. Again, some people find it much easier to become concentrated than others. But everybody can do it. The infinity... Of the consciousness which we experience means that no borders nothing can stop the consciousness from embracing the infinity of space and as that happens we realize that we ourselves have put the limits on our awareness and consciousness It's as if we were running around, in this world, trying to see only what's straight ahead. All the time, putting our attention on that what we want to have and haven't got, and that what we've got and don't want to have, and thereby being so occupied that we can't look any further almost as if we had a blindfold on all the time and just sort of having glimmers looking through that but as we experience this vastness and it is a personal experience then it's quite clear that what we see here around us is nothing but the residual effect of having been craving for existence now that's another point which I will explain at another time because that now goes towards the basics of insight the craving for existence which brought us here when we see the vastness of space and the vastness of consciousness, which has no person person in it and no personality, we also see the absurdity of, for, of craving to be. Who are we, why do we want to be one little thing in all this vastness? I have uh, sometimes compared that to an ocean on which a lot of bubbles arise. Water bubbles coming up on this ocean. And some are small and some are large and some are pretty and some are sort of, sort of uh, um, opaque. And then one yells to another, look at me, how big I am. And bingo! It already goes back into the ocean. And the next one yells and says, I'm much nicer than you, and bingo, it's finished. (laughs) And this goes on all the time, up and down, up and down, all these bubbles, it's us. And then one of these bubbles all, all of a sudden becomes smart and says, what am I doing with this for? I am the ocean. And stays within the ocean and doesn't have any more problems. but it had to become pretty smart for that because it keeps on jumping up and down as its most natural uh, and uh, ingrained activity but having seen the vastness of the ocean there's no need to be a separate bubble So with that with those jhanas which are of course the way of summertime uh, and calm and tranquility an enormously different worldview arises which is the inside part of it and after having experienced those two the next step is called the base of nothingness which is when it hasn't been experienced usually misunderstood quite uh, quite badly because nothingness sounds as if there's nothing to experience but that's not true and from that misunderstanding one sometimes gets reports like well um, we have got and nothing to keep now because These meditative absorptions give the mind enormous strength and power through the one-pointedness, a great deal of calm. The mind does not fear those experiences. If this is done, and it sometimes can be experienced something like that, without the meditative absorption through what is called dry insight or pure insight one has to go through quite a bit of fear because it's totally opposed to what we have always been looking for we've been looking for one star to hang on to and say this one's mine this one's going to keep me this one's going to be for me forever and there isn't such a thing In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. But with the mind, which is powerful and strong, and quite calm, so calm that it doesn't have any disturbance, but that's the only way to experience this, it's imperturbable, this experience is a great relief. There's nothing to go after. There's nothing to get, and nothing to become. We all are already what we're trying to become. We are already nothing. And we're all trying to become something. But it's totally useless because we're going to remain nothing. We're very nice and pleasant nothings. So we should enjoy it. Because when one comes to that final... Decision and understanding and feeling what could possibly bother one? What is there left in the world that could bother one? If one is nothing anyway and everybody else is nothing too what is there left in the world that could give any kind of trouble? One can from then on really enjoy Those jhanas, those absorptions, give one that direction and that understanding. They don't do the total thing yet. That still has to be done. These are inside steps that still have to be done. But they certainly take the sting out of all that, and they certainly give us a cushion on which we can float so that we have um, an ability to get nearer to the real thing. The last one, the eighth one, is one <laughs> which really defies description. It is called a neither perception nor non-perception, and it has a similarity to the fourth one, but there's a difference. The fourth one, one knows quite well, this is absolutely still, And in the eighth one, one knows quite well that one doesn't know anything. One doesn't know. It's neither perceived nor not perceived. There is a ninth one, which is not really called the ninth jhana. It's called Niroda. And it's only available to the non-returner and the arahant. So we can dispense with that right now. But... (laughs) 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 The other eight are available to an ordinary putujana, an ordinary worldling. But having experienced all eight, one is not an ordinary worldling. One hasn't become a noble one until one has had what is called stream entry, and if there's time, I'll explain that in more detail. But it certainly has changed one's awareness and consciousness to to a different level. The one being called this, neither perception nor non perception, is a state of absolute rest for the mind, a total and complete rest. But there is no hardly in fact there isn't the awareness of an observer. Al- although it isn't the same as being totally without it and having completely eliminated the observer for a moment, the observer is so obscure at that time that one can't know. So when one comes out of the eighth one, one knows one's had had a wonderful rest, but that's about it. During the time of being there, the experience is not um, noted. It gives the mind the greatest energy and clarity and it really is that sharpening of the mind where all the connections are seen quite clearly. One can't say anything more about it. In fact, it's often said that there's nothing to be said about it. And the Buddha's words are it's neither perception or non-perception. Period. it. Finish. That's all. The Number five, six, and seven are the inside ones, are the ones that produce that newness within. And with that newness also comes the understanding that practice is the most important thing to do. Everything else can revolve around the practice. It doesn't mean sitting in meditation five or ten or fifteen hours a day, practice is also outside of meditation. And if one doesn't practice outside of meditation, one can forget the meditation. It's got to belong together. The two always work together. So if what we experience in meditation has to be taken into daily life, daily life has to be taken into meditation. It's a completeness, a wholeness, We're not two people, one that goes outside and does the work and one is going in here and does the meditation. We're one person. And this is a, I've said that already, but it is a a great deal of difficulty for many meditators that cannot bring those two together. Practice is outside of the meditation pillow, just as important and constant as it is on the meditation period. So those are the arupajanas, the Formless Meditative Absorptions, or the Non-Material Meditative Absorptions. And if one practices them, one will undoubtedly become interested in the explanations that have been given by mystics of all times and all ages and one will find them in every single tradition that ever was the words are sometimes so difficult that it takes a fair bit of study to find that it is exactly the same but since there is only one consciousness which is infinite obviously all minds will do exactly the same. And if that is ever understood by a few more people, it will certainly take the wind out of the sails of the differences between religions. There is only one consciousness. And having experienced the one consciousness, there's no doubt that there isn't any that is called with this name or with that name. And this one knows better than that one. It just doesn't exist. There is no such thing. And knowing one thing better than another, it is absurd. Totally and utterly absurd. And anyone who, who actually follows that kind of prescription, my path is better than yours, hasn't experienced the infinity of consciousness. That's all, having experienced it, such a statement could never be made anymore, having one consciousness in existence of which we are part, of course, and sometimes take part take that part, which doesn't is not exactly to our great benefit. We know then from that experience that. Everybody's mind and everybody's body is exactly like ours. Everything else is an optical illusion. And we are suffering from optical illusions. We are constantly believing in what we are actually seeing with these eyes. But have you ever noticed that we can't look around corners, that we cannot see beyond the horizon, that we can't even see ultraviolet light? which bees can see. So, what's so great about these eyes? There is an inner eye, an inner vision, which is much greater. And with that inner eye and inner vision comes, of course, the inner experience. So this infinite infinite consciousness that we experience and the infinite space makes it possible to realize that all minds, all meditating minds go exactly the same pathway no matter what we call those steps these are words but that's the path that everybody goes and if we really want to have the experience of an expansion of that what we now think the world is then we need to continue meditating that's enough on the subject for tonight. You can ask questions if you like. How do you get
1: through these eight channels? Do you always go through them mm-hmm. in the same
0: way?
1: You always start from the one and go through
0: the two Certainly in the beginning, yes. Later on, when you become an expert, you can play with the jhanas. You can go from one to eight to three to four to five to back to one to two, whatever you like, just to see whether your mind is strong enough to do whatever you want it to do. In the beginning, you've got to know step by step by step. And you've got to know which jhana you're in also. You have to be able to note you have to be able to enter, able to remain, able to get out, and able to review. These are the five things that you have to know about the jhanas. But first you have to get in. And then we'll worry about the rest later. <laughs>
1: hmm? okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's a nice way to die. <laughs> it is said that he went up to the eighth jhana and back down to the fourth, and he died between the fourth and the fifth. That's what Mahamogalana said. And Mahamogalana was his left hand disciple who was the most psychic of all disciples. So he said that that's what was happening. Because the other monks were asking, whether he was dead already. And he said, no, he wasn't the jhanas. And then he said he died between the fourth and the fifth. He left the, the materiality, uh, the fine materiality, of the fourth, first four jhanas behind, and then as he was going towards the immateriality of those, apparently he died, I mean, that's what it says. But if one can do the jhanas, it's the best way to die. And it's often been done by meditation masters. Yes or not? Not now. That would take too long. But I I will have um, uh, a chance. I will have a chance at another time. I will talk about it. At least I think I will. It takes um, a fair bit of explanation. Anything else? Quite clear, isn't it? It's
1: <laughs> 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 is an intriguing point that uh, I was thinking about. Is that if in John you've, you've got such energy and power and clarity of mind, um, how come the terminology has been incorporated into all religions and yet it would appear that these religions haven't got the power and the clarity uh, you would expect because they say everything else is wrong and and, and be very dogmatic in their views
0: Ah, but you're making a mistake a, a, a thought mistake it's not incorporated into religions single people can do it and that single person would never say anything like that. But the, the religions, the uh, establishment, well, I have yet to meet an establishment that does the jhanas. They see everything from the limited standpoint of a personalized uh, world system in which one has to be better than the next. But the mystics of all religions have done it, and the mystics, I mean, you can usually count them on the fingers of both hands.
1: But the mystics have made the religions?
0: Uh-uh. No. What has the, the ones who have made the religions are the founders of the religion. The founders of the religion are the ones that have established the guidelines. And the mystics in the religions are the ones that have practiced it correctly. But for instance, the establishment that are usually not consist- consisting of mystics. On the contrary, they don't have time for that sort of thing. Mm. So you will find that, and if you if you actually do read, um, like Teresa de Villa, Meister Eckhart, uh, Jose de Asuna. John of the Cross, um, Hildegard von Bingen. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know, there's another English one, but I can't think of his name. What I haven't read it. Hmm? The Sorry? The
1: Cloud
0: of Unknown? Yes, but that doesn't have a name to it. No. There's no name to that one. <laughs> yes. Um, but there was an English mistake but I'm, I'm sorry, the name escapes me because I haven't read him. Um, I know it? who? Julian. Yeah, could well be that one. Yes. So you see, I mean, you can't even get enough uh, for all fingers of the hand together. But they have certainly those people. There may have been others. Yeah. Uh, there may ha- they all have left documents behind, I mean books behind so that you can read it. But the language for most of them, in fact of all of them, is very difficult because the way they explain these experiences are either colored by the by their by the religion that they were adhering to and so trying to be within the fold which makes it very difficult for them. That's one thing. And the other thing is because it is we don't have the language for those experiences, they have to make up a language. And as they make up a language, then we, who are, of course, hundreds of years removed from them, find it very difficult to get into that thought process. Now, the, um, Teresa the language is um, fantasy. I and mean, she doesn't think it's fantasy, but it's strictly fantasy because she wants to depict something which she doesn't have the words for. So she makes a beautiful pictures, word pictures, beautiful word pictures. I mean, she goes into uh, wonderful chambers where everything is with pearls and with uh, beautiful jewels, and it, it's all shimmering and glimmering, and and I mean so then you try and find a chamber like that within you, I mean, it's a, or wherever. I mean, that, that, the language makes it difficult. But having experienced it yourself with the barest of simple language that the Buddha used, then you know that they're saying that. Now, Meister Eckert's language is um, um, extremely difficult to understand because he's using ordinary, everyday language Um, of a long forgotten dialect uh, which has been translated first into proper German and then into English um, and trying to say things which are quite beyond ordinary experience and trying to use ordinary words for it and it's extremely difficult very difficult to find out what it is but it can be done Yes, they, have, they also have that kind of language of using the uh, the love language. They use the love language. We have that also in Judaism, the love language. Solomon and David, Solomon's songs particularly, you have the love language that uh, it sounds as if they're talking about sexual love, but it isn't. They have no idea of talking about sexual love, but they're using that language because it's the only thing that seemed to... Uh, give them enough scope to explain a mystical experience, and it can only be understood from by, by by the one who has had it. And then when you see it, it's very very nice to know that uh, they're all doing the same thing, but very few of them, of course. Yes, Colin.
1: it's at all useful to say at the stage that I'm at, the limited stage that I'm at, to say, to actually identify oneself with what you were talking about, or whether really it's much better to say, okay, this is how I am at the moment, although ultimately I might Sometimes I hear people saying, "Well, I am that, and therefore all this other stuff is not real and not true." And it makes, and I, and that makes me feel uncomfortable about what they're saying. And I wonder what you think about that, because I've heard you say it once or twice. You know, that if you argue for, if you identify yourself with, I, I might be misquoting, but I understood you. So identify yourself with the limited then, then in the sense that you are
0: doing mm-hmm. that can you clarify to me yes Colin I think you need to stop thinking about it <laughs> very urgently mm-hmm. right now totally and completely and sit down and do it that's the only hope all that doesn't work sure I can answer it but it doesn't matter really doesn't matter. Sit down and do it. And you don't have to identify yourself with anything. The less you identify yourself with anything, the better off you are. But you've not got to know the direction. So sit down, be directed and do it. And don't think. Don't think. It doesn't work that way. you just got to give up and give in big breath and then and then do it and as you do it over and over I mean the meditation eventually you get to it everybody can nobody is exempt except those who don't practice they of course they can't do it naturally and since there are far more people that don't practice and those that do practice Far more people never get anywhere near this sort of thing than those that do. But those that practice have no reason why not. So don't think about it. Pack it all up and sit down and do it. (laughs) Anything else? Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. imagine that you are your own mother and your own child. The child that would like to follow its instincts and impulses and the mother full of love, caring and concerned, trying to show the child in you the right direction. Feel that Embracing love that a mother has for her child in your heart for yourself, coupled with wisdom. now think of yourself as the mother of the person sitting nearest you Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and fill that person with the embracing love and care and concern that a mother has for her child Think of yourself as the mother of everyone here, a large family. Take them all into your heart, caring, loving and concerned. Now, think of your parents <coughs> and reverse the roles. You are the mother, they are the children. <coughs> Love them, care for them, embrace them, help them, just as a mother does for her children. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you And let them all be your children You are the mother You are taking them into your heart Which is loving and caring Helpful, concerned, all-embracing Think of all your good friends and be their mother make it one large family extend the love that a mother has for her children to all your friends always ready to help, to be available. Think of your neighbors at home, the colleagues at work, the people you meet, acquaintances. Make them all your family. You are the mother. Embrace them. Take them into your heart. Nourish them. Care about their well-being. Have the heart connection. Think of any one person whom you find difficult. Make him or her your child also. Children are often difficult, but the mother loves them just the same. Extend that same motherly love to that person as you do to everyone else. Caring, concerned, embracing, and loving. And now think of people everywhere as part of your family. Picture them wherever you have met people, wherever you know that they are. In the area where you live, outside of that, further afield, in the whole country, everywhere on this globe, make it all your own family be the mother love them, embrace them take them into your heart without differentiation let the warmth from your heart spill over so that you can embrace as many as possible now put your attention back on yourself and recognize that motherly feeling of love that you can extend towards yourself to be a feeling of great strength and power giving you ease and contentment giving you a feeling of being well cared for people everywhere be one large family